There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hello, hello, everyone. If you are a weekly listener, welcome back. And for any new listeners out there, welcome. We're super excited to have you. This is the podcast where we talk about all things influencer marketing, but from a woman's perspective. Um, so we always have new guests on the show from all different aspects of influencer marketing, and we like to keep it fresh. So as always, any nominations for guests or requests for topics, shoot us an email. It's info at imwim.com. Also, I want to remind everybody that we have an incredible job board. So people have gotten hired, people have hired from our group because all the most incredible women are all members and we adore you we love you we respect you um and we want to get work for you so um if you are looking for a role go to our website right now it's iamwim.com slash career moves go to that same website if you are hiring we've already placed tons of people in incredible roles um so we would love to do the same for you again that's iamwim.com slash career moves. All right, ladies and gents, let's jump into this week's episode. Named Manager Kendall by her closest friends and clients, Kendall Watson directly manages people and projects with no boundaries in sight. She works to create strategies for people and companies alike that builds a roadmap directly to their goals, all while teaching them the necessary tools along the way. We are super excited to have her on the podcast. She's such an active participant in the group. So welcome to the podcast, Kendall. So Kendall, it's so nice to have you on today's podcast. Um, Tell everybody, where are you quarantining and uh, how was your weekends? I did the beginning of quarantine. I spent two months in Alabama at home with family. Um, came back to Los Angeles and have since been in Palm Springs. So not a bad place to hide out for coronavirus. A little hot, but not too bad. Um, and my weekend was great. Just Good. got back to New York and just settling back in, becoming lazy again, just COVID at home, but very nice and relaxing. Alabama football won. We're good to go. You're like so happy. I mean, that's those are great things. We have to celebrate like even the little things these days. Um, it's nice that you're getting in a few different environments despite being safe and quarantining. Um, and what brought you to New York? 
Just for fun. Um, I know that leisure travel isn't exactly encouraged right now, but we were very safe, very careful. Um, just came out. It was a friend's birthday, and yeah, just spent a few days in the city, different change of pace. Got some really good restaurants in. <laughs> good. No, you have to support the local economies. So I think that's huge. I th- as long as you're being safe about it and doing following the rules, which I'm sure you are, then like, yeah, go ahead and support local businesses. We got to open up again. Um, and what a like what a gift that we're in an industry where you can legit work from anywhere, right? Like, did you did you to- did you take off? the time? Did you truly step away or were you working at all on the on this trip? Um, I did a lot of work just like in the morning or like at night. So I took during the day off because um, we were out and about, not in the hotel room much. Um, so it was like half off. Had, and how did you feel? Was the plan to take fully off <laughs> or did you plan on having to work a bit? Um, I don't think this industry ever can be fully off. Um, I did a lot of prep to make sure nothing was like popping up, no fires would happen. Um, But I did anticipate a little bit of work. So I was emailing from my phone at lunches or dinners, but it wasn't too overwhelming. It was relaxing. It does feel a little bit different when you are working, when you're working from your phone versus your computer. Like do you, when you're doing a full work day and you're not, you know, you're at home, like there's no chance of like a vacation mode. Are you at a desk, you know, on your computer or do you find yourself working from your phone sometimes? Um, I find myself working from my phone more when I'm on the go. Um, when I'm at home, it's pretty much computer just because it's so easy to go to the table or the desk or in my case, a lot, the couch. Um, <laughs> sure. Set up. Um, so really on the phone, it's just on the go. Yeah, I just wonder, because for me, I, like when I, before COVID, pre-COVID, when I would take a vacation, which to your point, totally agree, what is vacation, what is like a real vacation? I don't even know. But I would say I'm like, look, man, if I'm working by the pool on my phone, like it's all right. You know, it's not that bad. It feels different for me when I'm on my phone. So I'm just kind of curious how other people work. Um, I'd love to sort of dig into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Like, how do you do? You, how do you feel the most productive? Um, do you do you need complete silence? Do you need certain things by your desk? Are you staying sticking with a really regimented schedule during the day? How are you working best during quarantine? Yeah, that's a great question because um, everyone works differently. Um, I have noticed with me. The reason I enjoy being freelance so much and just contract working for myself is because nothing is ever the same. Um, And I've seen that be true across the board, whether I'm working or just even in my personal life. So a lot of people have to have a regimen and schedule at home and do the same thing, wake up at the same time. You do emails, you do calls, but my days look extremely different. The only thing that's consistent is that I do work every day, um, but it does look different. Um, If I'm on project mode, I like to be in silence or just with music with no distractions. Um, If I'm just, say, cold pitching or submitting content or just doing, like, emails, I can be on the couch. I can be in these more leisure environments because I do, like, I'm able to focus enough Um, which I know a lot of people can't do. So I'm very blessed that I can work 
in just about any environment and be productive. Um, but yes, working by the pool, I try not to do that one because that turns not working very quickly. <laughs> but other than that, it's just, it looks different every day. I feel like if I like, I feel like if I were in LA, I don't know if I would work that much because <laughs> I would always be by the pool. But like, you're just you want to enjoy what you don't have all the time. So maybe that's because I'm a New Yorker. I don't know. But it's fan. It's amazing to hear that you feel like you can be productive in a lot of different environments. I don't know what it is. Before COVID, I would always I would much much rather work from home. And it was simply because I just know about myself, like I have major focus issues. So mm -hmm. if like I need a really quiet environment, um, just to be able to be like heads down, really focused, really, really productive to just be able to bang stuff out. But these days, like I can imagine that people who are more naturally prone to, you know, collaboration and a, an environment of, you know, being around colleagues and coworkers and sort of riffing off that energy would be really challenged um, because I don't know, Zoom calls or Google Hangouts can only do so much these days. Would you define yourself, describe yourself more as someone who, you know, is much more independent when it comes to working or are you much more collaborative? I'm definitely more independent, um, sometimes to a fault. Um, so previously I was with an agency, I was with Shine, who is also their active members of WEM. Um, and when I was with them, I got in a routine of going to the office. I was one of the first people in so that I did have some time with less distractions. Um, and then the office would be full for the bulk of the day and then I would leave earlier mid-afternoon, um, but I learned a lot doing that on how to not be so independent because it can be a bad thing, and I learned how to be a little more collaborative, um, which was good. It's going to be well-balanced, but I don't know. I... I there's also there's something to say for just knowing what you are and like leaning into that and embracing it and we're not all the same anyway i can see strengths of either one but probably the biggest strength is just whatever you're best at whatever really suits you best so these days we know that you know you're you're an independent contractor and you are you know you have your own business now that you've pivoted away from working with an agency and you're doing a lot of different things, which I find really fascinating. So we heard a little bit about that in the intro to this episode, but I'd love to hear just directly from you. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your business, your business model and the work that you're doing. Yeah. So um, I have a manage, I manage a roster of my own talent, um, non-exclusively just because I, they started out, most of them were my friends first. Um, so I just started helping them out little by little, um, growing their business. And then now I just do it full time and I love it. Um, it's the baseline of my business, I would say. It's the consistent part because I'm constantly managing their inboxes, pitching for them, finding brands to pair them with, that kind of thing. And then the inconsistent part that's my favorite, like I said, I like things to change and for things to be different, um, are the projects I take on. So I get hired by brands to build campaigns or execute them from start to finish. I can build and execute whatever they really need. Um, so I get to work on the brand side. And then I also take on projects like admin work, um, copywriting, blog writing, social media management, um, 
pre-COVID, there was a lot of work with music festivals and the influencer and celebrity relations world that that goes along with. Lots of events. Hopefully we get those back soon. That would be really nice. And, you know, since you're doing a lot of different things, it sounds like predominantly, though, managing talent, um, what would you say, you know, what, which area of the other informs which area of one informs the other? You know, I'm sure I can imagine that, you know, being a manager helps you maybe speak more easily to, to brands and that sort of helps you, you know, work better with, with, man, uh, with talent. Talk to us a little bit about just having this fuller breadth of knowledge, um, how that just helps you work better with everybody. Yeah, I would say that it, expands like the initial discovery phase of every project whether that is with talent with a brand um social media whatever it may be um just because i'm seeing so many different things and working with so many different people that have different opinions of each other and of mine um it's teaching me a lot of different ways to think outside of the box, try different strategies, connect people I'm working with together so that they can brainstorm and see what works for them. Um, I'm just seeing a lot more trial and error day in and day out. And I think that helps just overall with an approach. Yeah, I can imagine. Definitely. And, you know, just wearing so many hats as a, as a freelancer, I think that um, it's just really interesting to hear how you personally navigate that in your business. So like one thing that I found really interesting is that you were saying that you work non-exclusively with talent where I was would assume that at Shine, I'm just guessing, but at Shine, I would assume that they work exclusively with their talent. Um, what made you decide to work non-exclusively and, and how is that working best for you? So I decided to stay non-exclusive. Like I said, um, some of these talent were my friends before I got into this industry um, within the YouTube world and this Gen Z millennial space. Um, and a lot of them didn't have managers because either they'd had bad experiences or agencies they wanted to work with just had too tight of a grip on what they could and couldn't do. Um, they were allowed to work with this person. They weren't allowed to do that. Only if it came through the agency, these types of things that I saw just from the outside in. So when I started doing it and helping them out a little bit, I, the feedback I got was that they liked that, well, I was their friend, but they trusted me um, and that they liked how casual the relationship was. And I, I've seen a strong difference in this Gen Z millennial space versus the traditional influencer space, because that's a totally different opinion. Um, the influencers, I feel like having someone completely in charge of their business and telling them what to do. But these younger kids, they don't. Um, and I've had a lot of success there. Um, I would say that I prefer to be non-exclusive um, because once I develop that trust with them and they know that I have their best interest in mind, then they start sending me the emails they get because they prefer me to answer them and they prefer to loop me into everything, um, which I know is a very small opinion in this industry, I'm sure, but um, I enjoy it so far. I, Kendall, I actually think that it, I think that things might be moving more in that direction than not. Um, that's my 
personal opinion. So I'm actually really fascinated that this is the direction that you're going. Um, I don't know if you, if you're on the management side of things and you know, like you are, and you've, you know, other managers, obviously you worked at a firm, like there tends to be a similar story when you meet talent um, who's exploring changing representation or having representation. And more often than not, they've had a really bad experience. There's some story there that where they've been burned. And that's so unfortunate to hear. And more often than not, it's like, oh, like it's an uphill battle. It's like a few bad actors who have sort of like sort of potentially ruined it for the rest of us who are really doing good business, but it feels like it's an uphill battle to sort of prove that you're not that person or, you know, you're not, your intentions are really great that you're going to advocate for these people. You really care about them. Like you do good business and you're trustworthy. Um, so I, 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 that's pretty pervasive. And that being that these influencers come with like a bad history with managers and with, and talent reps. So, I don't know. I'm curious, like, what are you seeing elsewhere in the industry, just even beyond your business with other managers? Do you see other people sort of going this route as well? Or do you think that you might be potentially paving the way for others? Um, I definitely in the past and when I was with an agency before, um, most agencies work exclusively. And something I noticed was all those X's and O's that you have to tie up when you're signing a new talent um, there's a lot of hurdles to jump that make them comfortable like maybe it's changing the email in your profile to go directly to your manager or being listed on a website or having to put it in your bio um, there's just a lot of things that i've seen talent not as comfortable with these days um, whereas they used to it was a sign of like stature they were like oh my management's email is on my profile i'm important but now it's kind of shifting um, it is. And do you, you're, so do you sort of attribute that to an age, like a, a generational shift? Is that sort of what I heard you say before? Mm -hmm. I do, because I've seen it. I saw it in the beginning with the younger talent that I was interacting with um, and not as much with the veterans of the industry. And what do you what do you think that is? Like, what do you hear from people or is, you know, what's your interpretation of why a younger generation is just, you know, different? Um. Honestly, I've played around with this for months. I think that Gen Z especially, I'm a millennial, um, but the Gen Z side of it, they're just a lot more casual with their business. I don't want to say they don't take it as seriously because they definitely do, but it's, it's a different approach of serious. Um, traditional influencers are on like a strict thing. They're doing their hauls with all their clothes and they're posting five days a week and they have their photographer and their presets and all of these things. And that's great. And it, it works for them. But this new wave of influencer, they're coming in, they're not posting as many uh, professional shots, their selfies, or they took them with their friends on their iPhone because those cameras are so great now. And I think that that mentality shifts over into everything else. Um, you can film a TikTok in seven seconds wherever you are. Um, you post 13 TikToks a day where you, as you post one Instagram a day. So I think that everything is just kind of pushing them to be more in the moment. And non-exclusive management is just falling along with that because it fits that. 
lifestyle best. Yeah, it's not as structured. It's not as regimented. It's, it's you know, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I kind of would love to hear, you know, since it sounds like you're working with, you know, younger talent. Um, I mean, you know, what, they're probably like in their 20s, maybe on average, what would you say? My youngest is 18. Um, and then everyone else ranges up into their 20s. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that like Gen Z um, group, you know, how are you coaching them? Because um, I know that you, you definitely coach your talent. Um, I know you've been, you've said to me, just because they have a following doesn't mean that they have influence, um, which is, I, I think, such a powerful thing to say. So, you know, how do you coach this talent of, of Gen Z, like 18 to, you know, late 20s? What do you tell them? Um, one of the first things I always ask, whether it's a new talent that just wants help or it's a friend of mine who has a following, I tell them all the same thing. I'm like, why do people follow you? And they're like, well, I'm scrolling through my thing and like this picture did really well and this picture did well. And I was like, okay, well, why did that do well? What is it of? Um, is it of you and your family? Is it of you and your significant other? Is it just of you? Um, I try to get them to delve into why they're content does well and then we branch that down and we're like okay so these three to four things are clearly what your audience likes this is why you have a following more of that and we pepper that in in like a good little calendar um we try and hit all the points not too many in a row so that it's like a good mix and i'm like if it's not performing well that's not what your audience wants that's not why they're following you so probably don't post it if you're wanting to use your platform as a business but if you just if you don't care, then post whatever makes you happy. But if you're going to make it a business, you need to make sure you're posting what your consumers, which are your followers, what they want. And what are the best strategies that you advise your clients on how to discover what that is? Because, you know, they're, the algorithm, you know, the algorithm can change and, you know, one day one sort of post looks like it's being engaged with and the next day that same sort of post doesn't do so well. Um, I've heard of influencers, you know, doing polls in their Instagram stories and um, using their blog to collect survey responses or, you know, DMs. But what are different strategies that you advise them on just to sort of, you know, uh, get a pulse on, on what type of content to produce? Yeah, I definitely push everyone to integrate stories and their posts simultaneously. Because um, that algorithm, like you said, it does change. But stories, you're always going to fall up there somewhere. So if you're posting, always sharing it to your stories. Um, like you said, polls, talking to your audience. Um, always having the response feature on and when you have a swipe up you can't respond to stories but never turning that off just so that people are if they are inclined to comment on what you're posting you'll see that um, checking your dms reading them and actually listening to them um, your message requests those are always so important um, really just using those stories to that you have so many features you can put on those to get a response from your audience and there's really no reason to not be doing that yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, what else are you advising your clients on just generally to, to have influence other than just having a following? Because as you and I know, um, you know, especially this year in 2020, there have actually been a lot of articles that have been coming out in the past couple of weeks, which I find really, really fascinating. And I'd really love to hear your thoughts on it, which is that, you know, historically speaking, brands were 
really looking for more conservative influencers, conservative in regards to the type of content that they're producing. They don't want anyone too racy. They don't want to want anyone too outspoken. And I've seen a bunch of articles. I don't know if you've read them as well, just saying like brands are over influencers. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. Who are being too politically correct and don't necessarily have an opinion. That is like music to my ears because I just personally, the influencers that I really gravitate to and like have always had opinions. These are not, you know, the the dainty, quiet influencers who avoid posting during, you know, socially charged or politically charged times. They're people who are leaning into that or at the very minimum, you know, sparking the conversation so that their audience can at least, you know, say what their opinions are. So I'm curious because when you're managing talent, nine times out of 10, you're mostly managing their brand partnerships. That's where the influencer's bread and butter comes from. Are you seeing that um, brands are really sort of looking for this more of rich content, or do you think that brands are actually leaning away from it as and trying to sort of go that traditional route where, um, you know, there's not too much chatter and it's just kept pretty vanilla? What are you finding? I am kind of like you. It's music to my ears to see that it's changing. Um, and I'm also finding that to be true in the work that I'm doing day to day. I think that there's a fine line, and I've always said this, between why brands partner with influencers. They either have a goal of brand awareness or conversions. Those are It pretty much bubbles down to those two things. And when you really think about it, brands do well with influencers who have an audience that listen. And if you have a strong audience that listens, then you have strong opinions because they resonate with those. Um, so these talent opening up about how they truly feel or, you know, just how life is like being an influencer sometimes is hard. You get, you get criticized for almost anything. And I've seen a lot of great returns when brands are picking the perfect influencer that aligns with the brand messaging and the opinions whether that's political or social, any of the things. So what I'd also love to chat with you about is strategies for pitching your clients and for outreach. This is probably one of the most challenging things that I feel like all managers experience when you are signing talent and, or, you know, or working with talent in your case, and, you know, they're like, I really want to work with all of these variety of different brands. They're on my dream list. I see influencers working with these brands. How do I get on their radar? How do I work with this on a campaign with them? Um, and that could be a very challenging process in when we try to facilitate that as much as possible. Um, 
But even with that being said, you know, when people ask for like one of the rules, for example, in our group is you can't just ask for a contact it like a con contacts information. Like you have to say, I'm looking for this contact because and fill in the blank because some people will take advantage of that. So if you're legitimately looking for a contact for a client who loves work, you know, the brand, they really want to work with them. What is your strategy as a manager to bridge that relationship for them? Yeah, so I'm probably going to be an opinion that is one of a kind on this. Um, if anyone who is listening to this and knows me will completely understand um, the way that I work, I'm very self-aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, so the first thing I do is make sure that that brand is feasible for that talent. Um, and there, it, it's not like you just respond and you're like, you can never work with them. If it's not a fit, obviously I'll go back to the talent. I'll be like, this would be a great campaign. These are some things I think that we could do right now that will boost your chances. Let's work on this for a little while and then go to them and present a strategy. Um, but basically I tailor every pitch to be its own, which I know I used to love just like copy paste, copy paste into as many people and do it easily. Um, but I didn't have much success there. No surprise. Um, so now I really try to tailor and paint a picture in that initial pitch email of why the brand would want to work with that talent and why it's mutually beneficial. Um, I think that early on, everyone has fallen into the hole of send out as many cold pitch emails as possible. We need to start making money on billables, but that's really just not gonna work out for you in the long run. Um, and then you get more quality long-term campaigns out of it anyways. And so, you know, that makes perfect sense. So, and I feel like P I, I don't come from the PR world, but I feel like the art of the pitch is certainly people, or is certainly, um, something that would be sort of mastered by somebody who maybe comes from the PR world. Um, but in your, so in your experience, like, okay, so you, you make sure that it's a good brand fit. You try to find value for all sides, get a really granular. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what does this pitch look like? Is it always done via email? Are you taking a zoom call? Cause you're not going out to coffee these days. Like, um, you know, are these relationships that you've had or are these relationships that you're finding elsewhere? I've heard a lot of people have success on LinkedIn, by the way. I don't know if that's your experience, but anyways, get as granular as you can. I, I think people would really love to dig into this a little bit more. Of course. Yeah. So sometimes they're contacts I have, um, sometimes they're contacts that I have to find through your platform, through WIM or through various networking. I do use LinkedIn a little bit and I'm starting to see more success there. So I'm curious to learn more. Um, but those pitches, they don't look the same. They're normally an email just because I work on both sides. So I, I have been the person receiving that email. Um, and so I try to approach it the way that was the most efficient for me on the other side. So I try to just email, paint a picture, plant the seed, give them everything they need or that I think they need. And then I throw the ball in their court where I'm like, I would love to hop on a phone call if you have time, um, feel free to email me back. I kind of just leave it up to them to pursue. Cause if you put them into a corner and you try and like make it facilitate the way that you want it to, you're diminishing your chance at success there just because you don't know how they work. You don't know how much free time they have. You don't know how they prefer to cast for campaigns or choose their influencers. So I really try to cater to whoever I'm approaching 
Um, and I see a lot of success in that. It's not always the easiest for me um, because a lot of people work differently than me, but it does end up being worth it. I bridge a relationship, hopefully get some campaigns out of it, and then we might work together in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would like with any pitch, whether you're pitching a person or a company or a brand, a lot of it is a numbers game. I think that the goal is just to, you know, to, to raise the percentage um, so that the, you know, the numbers can be smaller and the percentage of success can be higher, but it still is a numbers game. And I think that it's, it's kind of similar to influencer marketing, which is that it should be a test and learn because especially with the climate that we're in right now, um, there are things that are changing so rapidly. So the needs are just changing as just as rapidly. So I feel like it's, you know, even though it's a numbers game and so a bunch of pitches will have to go out, I think that there's value in getting strategic about having maybe, you know, 10 pitches go out one week and then wait, like pause a beat and, and see what sort of response you get back before sending out the next batch so that hopefully batch after batch after batch will be improved. So, so you know, you're learning from them. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if you do this. This is something that I used to do all the time, which, it, which sort of helps build relationships and it just helps so many fronts. When you get a quote unquote negative answer to a pitch, which obviously is like, we're not interested right now, or even we're just not interested at all. I think it's so valuable to lean into that and to ask why, of course, in a really polite way. Um, but I, it, it continues the conversation. There's value to be gained, even in, in knowing that the verdict is a pass, but mm -hmm. there's so much that could be gleaned from that. Um, and I, I would, this is a follow-up question that I would love to ask of you. I'm always curious how managers handle some not so good feedback sometimes, right? Like we're the middle person, the middle woman <laughs> of a lot of these relationships when it comes to, you know, talent on one side and an agency or a brand on the other. And sometimes you'll hear some feedback on your clients, on your talent that isn't so great. How do you deal with that? Do you always share? Do you share in a particular way? Um, how do you handle those, those situations? Yeah, it's never fun. Like, like you said, it does happen. Um, and I normally address it just because I see growth. Um, I see growth and negativity, um, especially in this industry. And maybe it didn't work out. Maybe you thought it was going to be a good fit. And the delivery of the talents uh, campaign, maybe it just didn't go right. Or I normally stay the middleman through content and analytics submission. So there's not much direct conversation there. Um, so it's very rare that they have an issue with like the actual person. It's normally just performance. Um, but I do communicate it to the talent because I don't want them to be confused if a brand doesn't want to work with them again. Um, I want them to know exactly like how they can improve to make that better or maybe next time you'll if, if it performs better or you did this differently, your analytics would be higher and then you could do something longer term or maybe up your budget, whatever their goals are. But I always try to fight for the talent when doing that. Um, I'm never too submissive, I guess, to one side or the other. I stand pretty firm where I'm at um, to stand up for them for the brand or vice versa. Um, I just, I want ultimately everyone to be happy and everyone to get what they wanted out of something. But like you said, the negativity, it does come up. I won't let brands bully 
I've seen a lot of bullying this year and I haven't liked it. Um, I try to educate on both sides, um, but I'm not going to let someone bully talent into posting more just because maybe they didn't meet the story views the brand had anticipated. Because like you said, these algorithms change every single day. Um, if it was obviously a dramatic decrease, we would find something to do, but I'll always stand firm for the talent as long as I can, but educate on both sides. It's the most difficult position to be in. I feel like anybody who's a middle person is, is, is relates to that and can empathize with that. Like, cause you know, like agencies feel the same way. They're, you know, they're the go between, between like a brand and maybe a talent manager or sometimes the talent if they don't have management. So just being in that middle position is difficult. I, I think it's particularly interesting your position because you do also work on both sides. When I was managing talent full time, like I was only managing talent. So I felt like defensive of my babies. <laughs> and like, sometimes I would like have to talk myself down a ledge because or off a ledge. Cause I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this personally invested um, or like quote unquote emotional about it. But you know, these are people that you've worked with for years and you really value what they do. And if you see something wrong, you see some, you know, sometimes you want to say something about it. Um, but it's hard to hear feedback about that. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what we're doing, we're, we're working with people and, you know, people's feelings, especially with creatives can be very, um, can be really tricky to navigate. So this is definitely an interesting topic to talk about. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there's so much more to discuss about that. Let's talk a little bit more, Kendall, about, you know, about the feedback from uh, brands or agencies, maybe when things don't necessarily go swimmingly. Um, do you find that you're always getting that feedback? Do you find that it's hard to get or, or do you find that people are just giving that and, and it's no problem? I find it very hard to obtain. Um, a lot of times companies or brands will say, and if this, uh, this campaign goes well, we definitely wanna keep working together in the future or let's do an initial test that has potential for long-term. And when those don't pan out and they don't want to continue. Um, I always asked because it was obviously on the table at one point. So if something shifted that, I definitely want to know to give that to my talent and help them work on it. Um, and I find it very hard for brands to give that. Um, maybe they are just non-confrontational and they don't want to have any proof or email that they had anything negative to say. Um, they're just being careful. I'm not sure. But I would love to see anyone on the brand side that's listening. I would love to see more of that in a positive way um, so that these kids can learn. Absolutely. I mean, especially because you say kids, like especially younger influencers or just like people who are new in this career. Um, you can't learn unless you you get feedback. It's so interesting. Some people who are listening maybe know this, but like my background's in theater and it's like very built into the process of, you know, rehearsing a show or just being an actor, or, you know, in my case, I was a director where like, you always are looking for feedback. You're always looking to grow and improve and be better. And like, it's, there's no stigma around it. Um, whereas to your point, like, I wonder if there's this 
sense of like, oh, is this person going to take it the right way? Like, I don't want to be confrontational. Like, I want, I have to work with this person again, probably. And maybe there's just an avoidance. Um, do you find that people just sort of say like the PC answer of like, oh, it just didn't work out? Or do you find that people are ghosting you? Or like, what do you find when you ask these questions? I feel like they just ghost. Um, they just, I follow up. I'm one of those because if I want to know something, I'm going to bother you until I get it. I will follow up like one week after and then two weeks after that, and then I'll give up. But I'm always like, hey, just want, just curious. I would love to like hop on a call if you don't want to put it in an email. I'm like, we can hop on a call. I would love to just discuss like the pain points of this campaign if there were any. And they just, they're like, campaign's done. I'm wrapped up. Let's go. I'm, I'm done with this. Um, but like I said, I manage a lot of kids and a lot of younger talent. And they're so careful with the cancel culture now. They're so careful when they create content. Um, so I think a lot of times when brands are unhappy, it's because maybe they weren't open enough or they didn't give enough of their personal opinion, but they're scared to. So having that feedback to help them, I think would be really, really beneficial in my case, especially. And I wonder, I mean, yes, absolutely. I could see the value there for sure. And I wonder, because like another pain point in like influencer marketing in general are, is the editing process, the content approval process. And so even in that instance where, you know, I wonder if there's a, a, a scenario in which an influencer is submitting content and um, maybe it's a longer campaign and they're like, Meh, we're going to cut this campaign like after, you know, had the halfway point or something. Um, and versus maybe just like working with that influencer and giving some feedback to just make it work. You know, I wonder what that is about. And I don't know that you or I will necessarily have the answer to that. We need to like phone a friend right now and like get a brand <laughs> rep on this, on this conversation to answer that question perhaps, but I've certainly had that, like that same situation. Um, and, oh, I love what you say that you're like, you're like, I'm relentless. Like I will follow up. <laughs> I'm the same way. Maybe it's like, I don't know. What's your sign? What sign are you? Gemini. You're Gemini. Ooh, Geminis are great. I'm a Capricorn. We're really stubborn. So I think that's part of it. Really big on communication. And so not moving forward or I'm over it. I will or find ghosting or ghosting probably kills you, right? I'm just, I will always tell you what, what the situation is and the status. And when I don't get that in return, I'm like, what gifts? That's the worst. I can't even, like, I was talking to someone actually today about something that professionally where somebody has completely ghosted her. I hate this. I it's, it's like a concept that's been really rampant in the past, like few years in particular. I feel like they had a show there's definitely a show with like Rachel Lindsay of The Bachelor. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But there's a show about ghosting in like a dating scenario, but it's the same professionally. It's so unprofessional. Um, and it's like, it's crazy. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this is something that's so important that people recognize. And I, if you could leave anyone, you know, people who are listening that are on the brand side or the agency side, what would you leave them with as, you know, your, your request for a different way of dealing with maybe bad news? What would you say to them? 
just over over communication um you can keep it short and sweet but i know you're busy and your inboxes are probably wild but it takes 30 seconds just to send a closeout email that leaves us all at peace and we can use it for positive feedback amen my last question for you for today um is you know as a manager working in the space, sort of seeing some of the changes that you've seen, especially this year where we've all seen a crap ton of change. What do you wish we would see in 2021? Um, I'm going to leave it open-ended and I would just love to hear what you have to say. I hope that we see, honestly, in our industry consistency, um, which might be an interesting answer, but um, I feel like this industry is so up and down and it's ever changing and that won't, that won't stop. But I hope that we can find some consistency in how the creators create and how the managers manage and how we all work together. Because there's so many things about it that are subjective um, that don't necessarily have to be, um, but it's fine that they are. I think that those are some of the biggest questions that I see posted in our Facebook group and among the network that I run in, people are always asking questions, say, about technicalities or rates or what analytics do you use when you're building a campaign and everything is so subjective. Um, so I would like to see everyone try to streamline just a little bit more into making it a little easier to navigate. Easily navigating uh, our industry would be a dream. <laughs> like having that, having some consistency, having some standards um, where we can all sort of lean on that when things get a little chaotic and manic. Because it, it, like, we are absolutely in an industry that gets that way. Um, and, you know, right now it's the beginning of October. We're all like getting ready for the holiday season, which, you know, even in 2020, it's going to be definitely the busiest time of this year, <laughs> but it's always the busiest time of every year. Um, and it would be nice to be able to just have some consistency. So I 1000% agree with you there. So Kendall, we ask this question of everybody who comes on. I'm really looking forward to hearing your answer. So what would you, what do you wish you have told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal personal advantage today? I think that I wish I would have told myself that it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. Um, I had right out of college, even during college, I had a very strict outlook of, okay, I'm graduating. This is what I want my career to do. This is what I want to be. This is when I want to be there. And I think that it was the source of a lot of my biggest downfalls because I just compared myself to this timeline that I put into my head. It's like, okay, by 30, this is where I want to be. But here I am at 27 and I'm not even in the industry that I went to college for and I'm loving it. And I'm so glad that I ended up here. So I think just, it doesn't happen to happen tomorrow. You can't take it too seriously. You have to learn to go with it and where you put your work you will see growth. 
Absolutely. Um, could not agree with you more. And I'm glad that you see that because it's only going to get you further for sure. Um, Kendall, I'm so happy that we finally got you on the podcast. It was such a joy to have you here. Um, you'll have to, you'll have to stay as active as you are in the group. Cause I always see your name pop up. There are just certain people who are consistently active and you guys are my favorites. So we're so happy to have you on today. And thank you so, so much. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.